Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Stay tuned till the end for information about the Uncommon Commons Patreon. Today's story is Pray the Rosary by Alex Vitale. Jane? Jane, what's going on in here? John, you're just in time. Please come in. Commune with us. That doesn't answer my question, Jane. If you would all turn to your neighbor and wish them a pleasant void dwelling. All? Neighbor? Jane, it's just me in here. Now, turn in your hymnal to page 665. I didn't get one. Let us pray. Oh, Snigledy Fig, how mighty are your tendrils. Please pierce our hearts so we can all be susceptible to your grace. Yea, though we walk amongst debtors and trespassers alike, we shall have no fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death. That doesn't sound quite right. Uh Shh! Let us not judge each other by preference, but by action, as is your will. For thine is the power, and the triumph, and the vigor, and the salts, and the... John! Another outburst like that, and we'll send you straight to proclamation, where you'll have to answer to Deacon Prime. Who's Deacon Prime? I am. Uh, You know what? Uh, I think I made plans with Doreen. Uh, We're gonna go get brunch, so, uh, see ya! Now, a testimonial reading from the most mysterious of benefactors, Sniggledyfig. Our Lord, who art in heaven, Magdalena began again. She'd already done the Our Father prayer. Surely he was listening now. I know everything happens for a reason, but I think our family has suffered enough. Please, please. Dead trees scratched their dried-out fingers against the windows of the chapel, and distantly someone was walking down the adjacent corridor. Maggie swallowed and continued her prayer. Please let Mama get better. She's been sick for so long now, and for a little while you made her better, but she got worse again, and Daddy's been drinking so much he looks as yellow as she does, and... and Judah... Oh, please bring him home. Please, please, Lord. In his last letter he said he just hated Vietnam. Miss Rossetti? Father Dominic's voice came from the far end of the church. Is that you? Hastily, Maggie clambered to her feet. Yes, Father, it's just me. It's past curfew. You should be back in your dorm. I know, Father. I'm sorry. She bowed her head as he came over, starting to pick at her nails. I just wanted to pray. Father Dominic smiled down at her. Why, child, you don't need to be in the chapel to pray. I know, but you and Mother Superior said— He waved his hand. Never mind that. What could have possibly been so important that you had to come down here in the middle of the night just to pray? Maggie hesitated, nipping at her cuticles with her incisors. "'My family, father. My mother. Uh, Well, my mother is sick, and my big brother. Well, you know. I was just asking the Lord to help them.' Father Dominic clicked his tongue. "'Now, Miss Rossetti, you know better than to make demands of our Lord.' Suddenly, Maggie's shoes were very interesting to her. "'Yes, but I won't listen to any excuses. You kneel back down and do three Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. Then it's off to bed with you.' Magdalena nodded, quietly acquiescing. 
Father Dominic stood over her as she prayed, keeping a hand on her shoulder. As she finished, Maggie quietly thanked him for the lesson and scurried off as fast as her legs could carry her back to her dorm room. Cecilia was awaiting her return. Maggie's roommate leaned back in her twin bed, lazily perusing a trashy magazine with a flashlight, contraband from the last class trip to town. As Maggie opened the door and slid back inside, Cecilia kicked herself upright and shifted into a crisscross applesauce position at the edge of her bed. Maggie flashed a weak smile and sunk down on her own twin bed. "'Well, someone looks awfully sour,' Cecilia commented, chucking her magazine onto the bedside table. "'Did you get rulered?' "'No, not tonight,' Maggie shrugged. "'Thank heaven for small favors, right? I just got made to pray.' Cecilia wrinkled her piggy nose. "'Isn't that what you went down there for? Count your blessings, girlie. My knuckles are still bruised.' Once again, Maggie shrugged. Cecilia went on. "'Me and the girls are going to sneak out at ten-thirty. Maria snagged some cigs from the janitor. You in?' "'I don't think so, Cece. I'm not really in the mood.' Her nails found their way to her mouth again. "'Ugh, whatever. Move all you want, I guess. Later!' Cecilia sprung out of bed and towed on her Mary Janes. As she fled through the door, she gave one last scrutinizing look at Maggie and then slipped away into the darkness. As the door clicked shut, Magdalena flopped back on her bed. Her bedside table bore only a lamp and a framed picture of her family. She swept it up, staring at the mute-toned faces that smiled back at her. They'd been thoroughly baked by the St. Augustine sun, and Mama looked happy and healthy, and Judah... Choking back tears, Maggie clutched the photo to her chest and rolled over to face the wall. Judah's last letter to her was folded neatly and slotted into the back of the frame. It didn't say much about his situation, mostly he just asked Maggie about her life, though he did mention his friends and one loss thereof. He signed the letter as he always did, with doodles in place of his name. The dorm room began to grow unbearably warm, and Maggie's eyes grew damp and salty. She took a shaky breath and began to whisper to herself, "'I know you can't help everyone, Lord, and I know everything happens for a reason,' she breathed, clutching the photo so hard her hands shook. Her thoughts drifted briefly to Father Dominic, resentment rising like bile in her throat. "'But please, I just want my family back. I just want us to be okay.' Magdalena waited for a long time, listening to the cold November wind batter against the window. She didn't know how long she lay there, waiting, listening, hoping. But by the time she'd fallen asleep, the sun had already begun to peek over the horizon. The next morning was the Sabbath, Groggily rubbing sleep from her eyes, Maggie rose. Both she and Cecilia, who had gotten back at some point during the wee hours of the morning, had fallen asleep in their clothes. Silently, the girls redressed side by side, hiking up their stockings and adjusting their ties. Silently, too, they marched out of the dormitories with the other girls down to the chapel, blearily following one another into the pews. Mother Superior solemnly took the spot behind the pulpit, hushing what few chattering girls there were. "'Ladies, ladies,' she began in her watery, wavering tone. "'I'm afraid I have some sad news to bear to you all.' She hesitated a moment then, as if expecting a reaction. Dozens of sleep-caked eyes stared at her, emptily, and she went on. "'Late last night, Father Dominic passed in his sleep.' Mother Superior paused again, and this time she did receive a reaction. Whispers arose instantly, a jumble of mild concern and great excitement. Sister Mary Catherine— who stood flanking Mother Superior as she always did, hissed a sharp, Quiet! to the audience. It's a sad, sad day for the Academy, Mother Superior went on. For obvious reasons, today's Mass will not be carried out. Naturally, funeral preparations must be made. 
and we will be expecting a replacement for Father Dominic. For now, girls, we shall say a short prayer in his honor. Mass, or lack thereof, led out with a burst of excitement. Most of the girls were indifferent to Father Dominic's passing, and they all scurried out of the chapel in a rush of different directions. Maggie trudged out after the rest, nibbling absently on her nails as she got lost in her thoughts. She felt sorry for Father Dominic. He hadn't been a bad man, she thought. Certainly, he was a bit stuffy, and confession with him always seemed to drag out. He could always be a little touchy, and did have a tendency to berate her, but he was a very pious man. Maggie felt guilty all of a sudden for her resentment of his lesson the night prior. She wished she had said something kind to him before she had left the chapel, or that she'd added him to her private prayers. Distantly, in the pit of her stomach, she wondered if he died specifically because she hadn't prayed for him. Maybe this was a lesson from the Lord to not be so selfish, just as the father had warned her about. The thought made her gut nod up. Her canine bit through the fresh skin under her cuticle, drawing a pinprick of blood. The far end of campus was empty as Maggie wandered alone. She had no idea where her classmates had gotten off to, nor did she particularly care. The air was crisp in late November, and sent a shiver slithering down Maggie's spine. She bunched her fingers in the end of her sleeves and crossed her arms over her chest. It would have been much warmer in her dorm, but she didn't much feel like being cooped up alone with her thoughts. Or worse, with Cecilia. Campus itself felt lonely today, though. Not even the squirrels, who almost always busy themselves with destroying flower beds, seemed to be out and about. Maggie hadn't even run across a gardener during her wanderings. Yet, as she rounded the south side of the main building, a black car wound its way up the long gravel driveway to the school. She watched as it slipped past the gates and came to a halt next to the small collection of staff vehicles out back. It shone against the dull beiges and rusted reds, black and shimmering like a scarab beetle. Maggie came to a halt in time with the car, watching as its driver stepped out and came around to fetch his bags from the passenger seat. He was a young man of medium build. The hair on his head was platinum and neatly kept, starkly contrasting the dour black of the clergy's garb. At this distance, Maggie couldn't make out his finer features, but she didn't have to wonder for long. "'I can see you spying on me,' called the young man. "'Come on out now.' Sheepishly, like a child caught stealing from the cookie jar, Maggie slunk out from the side of the building. The man stood open towards her, hands placed on his hips. He didn't look angry with her. In fact, he had a good-natured smile on his face. "'You don't look like a spy or a troublemaker,' he continued. "'Who might you be, young lady?' "'My name's Magdalena. Um, Maggie, actually. I wasn't spying, honest.' "'Then I believe you, Miss Maggie. I'm Father Elijah.' He held out his hand to shake, and Maggie did so timidly. "'Father?' she asked. "'Yes, I'll be conducting Father Dominic's funeral and taking his place afterwards.' "'Oh,' Maggie replied dumbly. "'Father Elijah didn't much look like the other priests that she had met, nor did he look like a teacher.' He looked like a student himself. He couldn't have been much older than Judah. His face reminded Maggie of one of the ones she'd seen in oil paintings, back when Mama had taken her to the museum. Father Elijah was handsome, she thought. Too handsome to be some stuffy old priest. He smiled warmly down at her, and suddenly she remembered that she should probably say more. I was, um, just going back to my dorm. I see, said the father. He held out a hand to her. "'Do you mind a little company on your way? "'I'm still finding my way around campus.' "'Maggie nodded and took his hand, "'leading the way back across campus to the dorms and the chapel. "'Along the way, she quietly pointed out the buildings and their purposes, "'and each time Father Elijah would respond graciously to the tour. "'After a while, though, 
There was nothing left to comment on, and a strange silence fell between them. Maggie found her mind wandering back to the concept of death. "'You seem troubled, Maggie,' Father Elijah interjected after a time. "'Do you miss Father Dominic?' She hesitated before responding. "'I suppose. I was thinking about our last conversation. Um, last night he caught me praying in the chapel.' "'Praying! In the chapel! How scandalous!' chuckled Father Elijah. "'I was praying for my family. Father Dominic told me that that was a bad and selfish thing to do. I was mad and upset last night, but now I feel bad about that, too.' They arrived at the door to the East Dormitory. Maggie took her hand back. "'Emotions aren't something we can easily control,' Father Elijah said gently. "'And they aren't something we should try to, nor should we feel guilty for having them.' It's not selfish to pray for your loved ones, Maggie, and it's not a bad thing to feel resentment against those who have wronged you. You can't help it. Maggie didn't respond. She just looked down at her Mary Janes. The edge of her pointer finger slipped into her mouth. Father Elijah took her hand away from her lips and reached into his pocket. Here, my dear. Something to ease your woes. He pressed it into her palm and closed her fingers around it. Maggie stared down at it. A rosary? A rosary. It's a gift, for you. Pray over it, and you'll find your family again. He patted her hand and let go. The beads of the rosary were a smooth yellow-white, pitted with age. The crucifix that hung at the bottom appeared to be silver, though it was so heavily tarnished that Christ's features were no longer visible. I can't take this from you. You're not taking it. I'm giving it. I'll see you at the service, Miss Rossetti. With finality, Father Elijah turned and walked away, leaving Maggie to watch him go. She watched as he went down the path all the way to the chapel door, and kept watching as he went inside. The door shut behind him, and finally Maggie slipped into the dormitory. Upstairs, Maggie spent the next hour locked away in her room, kneeling at the foot of her bed. She clutched the rosary tightly in her hand and prayed, prayed harder than she ever had before. She prayed for her mother's pain to stop. She prayed for her brother's safe return home. She prayed for her father to put down the bottle. She prayed so hard that she didn't even hear the door open as Cecilia walked in. What are you doing down there? Maggie jumped and startled from her trance. I'm praying. Cecilia walked over, hands crossed over her chest. Where did you get that thing? Without waiting for a response, Cecilia snatched the rosary out of Maggie's hand. Maggie stood suddenly, irritated. Father Elijah gave it to me. Who? Father Elijah? He's the new priest. We have a new priest already? Damn, I was hoping we would get to skip a few more masses. She dangled the rosary between her fingers, handling it with disgust. Why'd he give you this, anyway? To help me pray? Well, it's ugly, Cecilia said incredulously, thrusting it back into Maggie's hand. My mother gave me one that's much prettier. Maggie glared at her as she clutched the rosary to her chest. Silently, she knelt back down on the floor and went back to praying. She could feel Cecilia's eyes on her as she did so. After a few moments, Cecilia scoffed, and the door shut behind her. Maggie sat praying for the rest of the night. She didn't respond to the grumbling in her stomach telling her it was time to eat, nor did she respond to the opening door as Cecilia returned for bedtime. Maggie knelt still as the lights were shut off, and continued to pray long into the early hours of the morning. Sleep did not come that night. Maggie only broke her prayers when Cecilia shook her by the shoulder and told her that Father Dominic's funeral would begin in a half hour. Maggie stood changed into the sober black dress she'd kept from her grandmother's funeral, and joined the girls as they filed out of the dormitory and into the chapel pews. 
Father Elijah stood at the pulpit, and a quiet buzz began around Maggie as the girls whispered about him. They were just as surprised as she had been to have such a young priest at the head of the congregation. The funeral itself was unremarkable, though. Kind words were said of Father Dominic, everyone expressed their remorse, and no one made mention of his habits of touching the students as they prayed. After the service was over and people flooded the exits to make for the dining halls, Maggie found Father Elijah gathering his belongings at the front pew. Before she had even the chance to greet him, he spotted her and waved her over with a bright smile. "'Miss Maggie, how are you doing this morning? Do you think I handled the service all right?' "'Yes,' she replied. "'It was very nice.' "'You think so? I did not know Father Dominic well. You're certain I didn't miss anything important?' "'He'd missed plenty of things important, but none that would have been appropriate to say at a funeral.' Maggie shook her head. "'That's a relief,' Father Elijah sighed. "'How are you holding up? Did you pray the rosary like I told you?' "'I did,' she answered dutifully. "'I... I'm not sure it worked, though. "'Chin up, Maggie. "'Keep at it, and it will work, I promise.' "'The rest of the day was uneventful. "'Maggie ate lunch with Cecilia and her friends, "'though she couldn't get a word in edgewise through their chatter. "'Everyone had seemingly forgotten about Father Dominic and his demise. "'The conversation was focused solely on Father Elijah. "'Lucia said that she didn't know priests could be so cute,' and Addie said that he looked more like a movie star than a stuffy old priest. Maggie returned to her dorm after she ate and went back to praying. When she finished, she hung the rosary around her neck. The next day, classes began again. The girls, as usual, were expected to attend Mass in the morning. Just like the others, Maggie sat down at the pews and listened as Father Elijah began his first-ever official service at Mount St. Mary's. That day's lesson was on family and honoring your parents. It felt as though the topic had been hand-chosen for Maggie, and during the sermon she could have sworn that Father Elijah locked eyes with her. Afterwards, she made it a point to approach him and offer an official welcome. She'd really liked the service that morning. Cecilia and Addie were waiting outside the dorms for her, blocking the entrance. "'You seem awfully close with the father,' Cecilia said snidely, crossing her arms the way she always did. Maggie said nothing, and made to push past them. "'Where were you just now?' "'We missed you after Mass,' Addie put in, voice lined with false sweetness. Again, Maggie remained silent and shoved past them, this time making it through the door. Over her shoulder, she heard Cecilia snicker. "'Oh, she's just living up to her namesake, Addie.' As time marched on, Maggie grew more and more reclusive. She and Cecilia no longer talked, not even exchanging a good night before bed. She felt eyes on her wherever she went, and heard murmurs as she walked down the halls of the school. The only time she could block out the mocking was in Mass, and she clung to every word and every lesson Father Elijah had to offer. Each night, regardless of whether or not Cecilia was watching, Maggie would pray the rosary five, ten, fifteen times over until she finally fell asleep. Pieces of the beads began to flake off, and the crucifix grew more and more tarnished. All the while, Maggie's private walks around campus grew more and more common. She felt more herself when she was isolated. She'd pace up and down the gravel paths, always with her worn rosary gripped tightly in her clammy fist. No word had come of her family, and the rumors about her around school grew harsher with every new mouth that they passed through. She drafted a letter to Judah, but had eventually discarded it. The last thing he needed was the burden of knowing Maggie was being bullied. Instead of wallowing in her own misery, she'd pray for them, for her family. She wasn't the one who needed help. They were. On one particularly chilly evening, Maggie slipped away into the forest on one of her walks. 
Cecilia had made a passing comment of what Maggie really did while down on her knees, and Maggie had torn off out of the dining hall. She stumbled blindly over roots and fallen leaves as she walked aimlessly through the forest, our father's spilling from her lips as she clutched and prayed the rosary. It was impossible to tell which way she had gone, as she didn't bother keeping track. She didn't care to. All Maggie wanted was to pray and to have her family back. All she wanted was a home. She had no idea how deep into the forest she went, no idea when the tears had begun to stream down her wind-battered cheeks. All she knew as she slumped exhausted against an old oak tree was the Apostles' Creed. The words died on her lips as the darkness closed around her vision, and she slumped forward into a weary slumber. When Maggie next awoke, she was lying on the frontmost pew of the chapel, the old hard wood digging into her back. She started, sitting up in a panic, but the dull pounding in her head stopped her from getting up. Father Elijah, who had apparently been standing behind the pulpit, came rushing to her side. Maggie! Goodness, you gave me a scare! He brought her a glass of water. It was room temperature. I'm sorry, she hesitated. What happened? You tell me, he replied. I found you collapsed in the woods. If I hadn't happened to cross you, I'd shudder to think what would have happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Maggie repeated. She was, too. She hadn't meant to make anyone worry, especially not her only friend at Mount St. Mary's. Father Elijah insisted she drink some more water and pressed his hand against her forehead to check for fever. But after a few minutes, Maggie felt well enough to stand and walk. Her headache had dissipated. She thanked him in earnest for his help, and told him that she'd see him tomorrow in morning mass. "'I don't think so, young lady,' Father Elijah said with more authority than she'd heard him speak before. "'You need to give your body a break. Spend tomorrow resting.' "'But I can't miss church. You can, and you will. And classes, too. Not to worry, I'll let the sisters know that I've excused you. Off you go.' Before she could argue, Father Elijah had ushered her out of the chapel. She turned and thanked him before the door shut, and made her way back to the dorm. Outside the chapel door, Cecilia stood, speaking with Sister Mary Catherine. She and Maggie exchanged no words as Maggie passed by, but they did lock eyes. Cecilia quickly regained her composure and continued her conversation, but not before shooting a venomous, accusatory glare in Maggie's direction. Cecilia smirked and wiped the back of her hand across her mouth. As it turned out, the father was right about Maggie needing rest. The next morning she awoke with a rattle in her chest and an ache in her bones, and all the blankets in the world couldn't keep her from shivering. When she rose in much the same condition the next day and the day after that, Maggie was confined to her bed by Mother Superior. She broke down in tears then, begging to go to Mass, but it made no difference. The only concession she was given was that she could pray. After all, she'd need to after causing so much trouble for those around her. Pray Maggie did. Her rosary never left her hands, not once during all those days she lay bedridden. She prayed not for herself, not even for her soul, but for her loved ones. She begged for forgiveness for her carelessness and prayed the rosary what must have been one hundred times over. Though her coughs interrupted her every time she began her prayers anew, she did not stop until at last Sister Dorothea came to deliver the mail. The letter had come from Maggie's father. It was written in the sloppy, disorganized handwriting of a drunkard, and spoke so informally that Maggie had a hard time processing what it said. The tone was callous and flippant, written as though telling Maggie anything was an afterthought. She stared down at the whiskey-stained paper for a long, long time, but it was the first two lines that held her attention the longest. Your mother is dead, and they're shipping Judah back home in a box. 
Grandpa will be there to pick you up for the funerals on the 9th. Maggie didn't notice the tears that began to pour down her face, nor did she hear her own cries of anguish. She crumpled the letter, flinging it as hard as she could against the opposite wall. It floated lightly, dully, to the floor. She kicked and wailed and flung off her covers, throwing herself out the door. She stumbled down the hall in her linen nightgown, sobbing. The halls were empty and quiet, reverberating with the sounds of Maggie's sorrow. If anyone was still in the building, they did not bother coming out to check on her. She staggered blindly down the stairs and out of the building, and as soon as her bare feet hit the gravel, she took off running towards the chapel. Jovial bustle leaked out from inside the dining hall, but Maggie did not stop. Pebbles dug into her flesh and clung to the soles of her feet as she tore off for the chapel. The wooden doors banged and echoed against the wall as Maggie stormed into her sanctuary. She collapsed at one of the pews. There was no consideration of pulling down the kneeler. She didn't want it. With her rosary dangling heavily from her neck and her face damp with tears and snot, she bowed her head and began to heave out her words. They poured out in a rapid babble. "'Dear Lord, please, Lord, please, let it all be a lie,' she choked out. "'Why would you do this? I've been nothing but faithful. I've prayed every day. It isn't a big wish. Please, God, why? What did I do? What did they do? Why not take him instead?' Why is he still here, and Mama and Judah are, are... Maggie's voice broke. No more words would come out, only the shattered, wheezing gasps of a broken heart. A hand placed itself on Maggie's heaving shoulder. She straightened instantly, turning her red and puffy eyes to Father Elijah. His warm, welcoming face smiled pitifully down on her, but she saw no comfort. She rose to her feet instantly and turned on him. You! she cried, advancing on him. He took a casual step back, arms limp at his side. "'You lied to me! You told me this would help! You told me praying would save my family!' Father Elijah made no move to speak, so Maggie continued her tirade. "'This thing is useless! I wish you'd never given it to me!' Her fist closed tightly around the rosary as she ripped it off and flung it at him. It burst like a water balloon, beads sprang everywhere as it sprung off of her neck. The effigy of Christ clattered to the floor— metal ringing in the silence. Maggie choked out another sob, collapsing to her knees on the floor, broken beads dug into her flesh. Mumbles of why were just barely audible behind the wetness of her voice. Father Elijah knelt in front of her. He tucked a smooth, cool hand under her chin and tilted her face up to look at him. His fingers stroked her cheek. My child, I didn't lie. He wiped her tears away with his sleeve and something warm as hellfire glowed in his eyes. You have found your family, Magdalena Rossetti. I am your family. Cecilia awoke the next morning to find her dorm still void of a roommate. Maggie's bed lay untouched in the same state it had been the previous night when Cecilia had returned home from dinner. Light streamed in from the window, but it was no matter. It was Saturday, and she intended to sleep in. She turned back over in her bed. The rest was short-lived, though. A pounding on the door startled her awake, and before she could even respond to it, it had been flung open. Mother Superior stood in the threshold, wide-eyed and frantic-looking. Her habit sat crooked atop her head. She questioned Cecilia intensely, demanding to know if she knew where Magdalena was. Uncaring, Cecilia told her flatly, no. Maggie hadn't come home the night before, and Cecilia hadn't seen her all day before that. She wasn't her keeper. It would be hours before all the staff would realize that Father Elijah, too, was nowhere to be found. 
It would be hours more before anyone noticed the pair of tracks leading out of the chapel. One barefoot set of prints from a human child, and one set of prints that were cloven. Amen. Oh, wow, that was... Wow, I, I can't believe that... Wow. Glad to have you as a part of the congregation. Now that you see the absence of light, I'm sure you want to know how to obtain it. I'm listening. Well, with just 12 easy installments of $316... Oh, well, uh, you see, I don't exactly have any, uh, money. I have been running the calculations and have come to the conclusion that I am God. You may feel free to worship at your earliest convenience. Oh, all right. Sounds good to me. Now, wait just a minute. This one is mine. Besides, didn't the other PA voice say that false idols were strictly prohibited? I'll allow it. Our AI, who art in the mainframe, hollow be thy wires, thy circuits come, thy motherboard be done, on UI as it is in hardware. Give us this day our daily bites. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at zero nullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon at the link tree in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Stay, and remember, nothing is real. Hi, it's George. Just wanted to let you guys know that Uncommon Commons has a Patreon. For $1 a month, it gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the common area. Hi there, I'm George. And I don't want to be here. I'm actively dying. How are you doing, George? I'm passively dying, thank you. Huh. For $100 a month, you will be rocketed into the void itself. What mere disassociation could not do, we will do for yeah. you. What is the scariest horror film you've ever seen? Garfield the movie. Interesting. Back <laughs> <No>. it up. <laughs> if I dropped you in Victorian England, you would be the definition of a madman and you'd be in bedlam in five seconds flat. I would be Sherlock Holmes, and I would be solving mysteries. <laughs> Plus, exclusive stories not available anywhere else, like Help Wanted. Thomas laid on his bed for what may have been hours. He had fallen asleep after letting himself get carried away by the pizza. The pizza box was torn and thrown across the room after every ounce of meat and cheese and grease had been leached from it. The television was on. On it, a puppet was telling a group of kids about the number six. Suddenly, the oven caught on fire. A small pizza inside had gone unattended for too long. Thomas released the crank and made for the emergency exit. Before he could lay his hands on the handle, the flames from the oven encircled him. So, click the link in the description and join us today. Stay. And remember, nothing is real. Nothing is real.